0: I almost didn't make it through um, the men's chorus number. Follow me. Beautiful piece, beautiful sound, beautiful harmonies in that song. As you'll see as this message unfolds, what I'm wrestling with and what is getting to me is the follow me wherever you go. Beautiful sentiment. I got to be honest, I don't know if I live up to that. I don't know if, how well, I I could sing it a lot easier than I could pray it, and maybe that we can live it. Last week, our story from the gospel uh, focused on seeing something and saying something. John the Baptist had seen the dove land on Jesus. He had pointed others to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew had gone and spent an afternoon with Jesus and it changed the, the direction of his life. He goes and invites his brother to come and see the Messiah. And Jesus invites them to come and see. This morning, that invitation kind of changes to come, follow me. And so as we take a deeper look at this story this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, as we open up the scripture, I pray that you would challenge us with these words. That you'd help us to consider how they make an impact, a deep impact on our lives and on the life of the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This week as I was looking over this uh, text, there were kind of two questions that popped up that came up uh, to me that I needed to wrestle with and, and look at. Uh, the first one is um, we we read out of John's version of the gospel last week, and we're reading out of Matthew's version of the gospel this week. And there's some differences in the story. And so one of the things that I was trying to wrestle with is why are there these um, different different, uh, these differences in the call of Andrew and and Simon Peter. And so one of them was kind of a, I needed to wrestle with this and and work through this for myself. Last week in John's version, John the Baptist points his own disciples, uh, and Andrew is one of those disciples, to Jesus. And then Andrew goes and invites his brother. But here in, in Matthew, Andrew and Simon Peter are fishing um, I looked through a number of commentaries to figure out, you know, what's going on here? Why Why is one a, a calling of John's disciples and one their they're fishermen? How do these stories kind of mesh together? How do they go together? A few of the commentaries acknowledged a difference and then didn't explain anything about why these differences might exist. Um, so I had to look for other uh, resources, um, email a couple friends that... I thought maybe he had some more insight uh, than what I did. Um, and one of the possible things that's happening is that this is reflecting two different points of time. This is one suggestion. It's possible that some of John the Baptist's er- followers became some of Jesus' earliest followers, especially after John is arrested. And that's the beginning of the text that we read this morning out of Matthew. We find out that John the Baptist has been arrested. And so what happens to John's disciples after he's arrested? They probably go home, go back to life as usual, try to rebuild what they had left. And though they've spent, uh, they had spent some time with Jesus, Matthew tells us that following Jesus' baptism, he goes out into the wilderness to be tested, to have this time of uh, trial. And then after leaving that time of trial, Jesus then embarks on his public ministry of healing and preaching and teaching. And it's at this point that Matthew picks up the story and gives us the story of Jesus calling these disciples. And so it's possible Andrew and Simon Peter had gone back to the family business after John's arrest. That's the first kind of question I'm still, I still got to, work through that for myself. The second question is the one that has stuck with me more this week. Um, I think it's a more interesting question, maybe even um, a more haunting question for us. What is it about Jesus that makes these disciples drop everything immediately to follow him? What is it about Jesus? As Jesus goes out to call disciples, Jesus is, is kind of breaking the mold, breaking the pattern from what most rabbis at the time did. Most rabbis would be out preaching and teaching and wannabe disciples or uh, apprentices would go and they would try and follow one of these rabbis, and so they would kind of apply for the job. And a rabbi would ask them intense questions about how much of the, the Torah they had memorized and, and how they interpreted it, and, and they were quizzing and testing them on all of their theological knowledge of the Torah. Rabbis only wanted to have the best Disciples or apprentices to follow them. Because a rabbi wanted that disciple to learn from them, but then to go and reproduce that teaching to spread their teaching. And their teaching was often called their yoke. And so when Jesus says elsewhere, My yoke is easy and my burden light, he's talking about his teaching, his way of life. He wanted disciples who could spread the, the rabbi, the teacher's yoke. To others, And so rabbis, most rabbis, they didn't go out and call people. People were coming to them, flocking to them, and they were picking the best of the best. Andrew and Peter have gone back to the family business. No other rabbis have come in and scooped them up. They're free agents. Nobody's picking them up. They go back to Galilee. They take up the family business. They're not the best of the best. Other rabbis don't think they have what it takes. But Jesus, Jesus is very different. And so Jesus is walking along and sees these guys hard at work, in the family trade, and says, come, follow me, and you'll fish for people. He's saying to them, I believe in you. I believe you have what it takes to come and to follow me. I see you as valuable and loved. You're important. And so part of what draws them to follow Jesus is, man, he thinks I'm good enough. He thinks I have what it takes. And Jesus is calling all kinds of crazy people to be his disciples, fishermen and and tax collectors. And, you know, it's a ragtag group of people that Jesus is inviting to come and to follow him. But then the text says, immediately, they left their nets and followed One of the things that that really has messed with me this week is that um, in my uh, Americanized, Westernized, individualistic mindset, how could they just drop everything to follow him? What is it about Jesus that makes them drop everything to follow Him? There's something that drew them to Jesus such that they left it all immediately. They left behind their income. I mean, this is their job. These are not the poorest of the poor people here. I mean, these are uh, disciples or these are fishermen who are engaged in the family business. They have a job. They're leaving behind their job, their their source of income in a culture, in a world where a lot of people didn't have jobs. A lot of people are, are struggling to get by. These guys have a job. and Yet they leave it behind. Leaving behind security, family, risking everything to follow Jesus. And this isn't the the safe Jesus that, that sometimes we talk about. The nonviolent Jesus, yes. The safe Jesus, no. Jesus ticks a lot of people off in his ministry. It's not safe to follow Jesus. So I wonder if Jesus came. Walking by your place of work or your school or your activities, would you be willing to drop everything immediately to follow Jesus? I'm afraid that I would say, Well, Jesus, I could probably fit you in next Tuesday. I have a spot. Or maybe even worse, I might say, Wait a minute, Jesus, you want more than Sunday morning? I gave you those, you know, well, hour service, and then I went to Sunday school, so two, I gave you two hours Sunday morning. You want more than that? Over the last couple of uh, weeks, I've been spending with uh, the youth down in Sunday school class, uh, asked to teach a, a little bit on Church of the Brethren history and, and values and beliefs and, and practices. And what's been interesting is, once again, for me to kind of look back through notes, look back through our history and our beliefs of seeing a radical expression of faith, people who were committed to opening up Scripture and living out the words of Jesus in very radical, practical ways. Sharing stories of John Klein going between the North and the South during the Civil War, trying to keep the church together. Being killed because they thought he was a traitor or a spy. Sharing stories of John Noss, who was called to be in the, the Prussian military as a bodyguard for the prince. And when he said, I already serve the prince of heaven, he was tortured. For his faith. It's gotten people locked up, martyred for their faith, ostracized by culture, and has pointed people to Jesus and turned people into kingdom fishers. And so I've been sharing these stories, and I wonder. This past week, I was also listening to a video from Francis Chan. If you're not familiar with Chan, uh, he was the the pastor at a large megachurch out in California. Started wondering if the way he was leading his church was really the way Jesus would want. If it reflected the kind of church Jesus would show up at. And so he left that congregation, moved his family over to China, and spent a lot of time with the underground church in, in China where leaders there said, you know, one of their pillars, one of their um, core beliefs is that they expect and anticipate and look forward to suffering for the name of Christ. In fact, he's, he's shared that there's been moments where the underground churches had opportunities to move above ground. And church leaders said, "We started to look like the American Church. The best thing that has happened to us is we got arrested again, for our faith." Last week, we sent out, as part of our announcements, um, a request for Lawan Ndimi, pastor uh, in Nigeria, the UIN. Pastor Andimi was executed this week. <clears throat> he was killed in, in Michica. I've been in Michica. I've stood and I've seen the aftermath of insurgents destroying towns and church buildings and schools and lives. I've been with people who have spent weeks running in the bush to escape violence. A few of my friends in Nigeria this week posting on on Facebook just pouring out their hearts saying, How long, O Lord? And yet I also remember worshiping with them in the burned out remains of their church building. the the foundation destroyed off to the side. And they had taken the tin, the the scorched tin from the building and had reconstructed a a pavilion for them to worship in. And in the Sunday that we came to worship with them in in Michica, 1,500 people were gathered under that pavilion, praising God, I mean praising God, singing their hearts and their souls out. They had uh, three different choirs singing, a praise team singing. They take three different offerings that morning. The pastor spoke in house, so we didn't get the direct words, we got the translation. The pastor calling their people to follow Jesus, to be faithful to Jesus. And in the midst of this, calling them to a way of peace is that you say you follow Jesus, but how many of you are thinking about retaliating? I can't imagine being in their shoes. I've listened to them encourage one another in the way of the Prince of Peace, this is the Jesus that passes by some fishermen and they drop everything for. This is the Jesus that our ancestors were willing to risk their safety and their livelihood to follow. This is the Jesus that Christians in China are praying to Pouring out their heart and soul to, risking imprisonment, risking beating to follow. This is the Jesus that Luan and Dimi and so many of our other brothers and sisters have been willing to lay down their life for. Let me get honest For a second, real honest, when you see those things, this is my friend um, who's standing in uh, the remains of a church building, Marcus Gamachi. This is the the scorched tin of the roof that was over the pavilion. This is 1,500 followers of Jesus committed. This is the town where Pastor Andimi was executed this week. When we in the American church argue over styles of music and, and times and, and details, and, and we, we argue over how to make church more convenient for participation. And I read about Andrew and Peter dropping everything, and I study the, the rich heritage that has helped to form who Spring Creek is today, and I hear um, about the church in China And I read this story of a servant of Jesus killed in a place that I've been and stood. You know, this other stuff that sometimes we argue about seems pretty insignificant. Not saying it's meaningless. Just seems like it's really not that big of a priority. To being committed to following Jesus. Loving Jesus. Jesus fishing for people. A quote that has stuck around in my mind actually comes from an Iraqi pastor um, through Shane Claiborne. And he quotes this pastor in Iraq who says, You did not invent Christianity in America. You just domesticated it. James 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Jesus did not come for your convenience. He came for your redemption. He doesn't say to Andrew and Peter, if you have a moment, if you can squeeze me in, I'd like for you to volunteer for this church thing I've got going on. Jesus wasn't calling these guys to just show up at a religious service to fulfill a religious duty. Because Sunday, or, or in Jesus' case, Saturday, was not the main event. Monday through Saturday is the main event. The way you and I live our lives, that's the main event. Jesus called these fishermen to a new way of life. Jesus calls us to a new way of life, and Andrew and Peter drop their nets and follow him immediately. What will we do? Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Jesus invites us to partner in his kingdom building mission so we draw our worship to a close i invite you to rise and body or spirit to turn in the brown hymnal to number 668 and at least read through the words